Father God, would you open our eyes that we might see something more of the great wonder of the Christmas story. Amen. Well, another week goes by and there's another political resignation. Um, it seems uh, that political crises don't stop for the holidays. Um, maybe it's the fact that I've been ill for much of this week, or maybe it's because it was the shortest day of the year uh, this week. Uh, but this Advent does seem, to me at least, a little darker than usual. Uh, and so all the better then, in some ways, to remind us of the kind of world into which Jesus came as light. He came into a world of darkness, of despots, of disease, of death, a world in desperate need of light, a world uh, much like ours. And so this morning, we will, as the um, traditional prayer from uh, Nine Lessons and Carols put it, we will go in heart and mind to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. We're going to follow in the footsteps of the wise men this morning and discover afresh the king who brings light into darkness. Uh, so there'll be a little bit of um, uh, flicking around in the Bible, looking at some prophecies um, that point into this. But if you could have Matthew chapter 2 open, uh, that would be great. And we're going to be following the wise men through it. So, verse 1. After Jesus was born... In Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So straight away we've got this unusual word, Magi, probably one that we're all very familiar with now, having heard it in many carol services and the like, often uh, translated as wise men. Who were these folk? Um, well, most likely... We've come across their like before in the story of the Bible. In the book of Daniel, we hear about the, uh, the wise men who the kings of Babylon looked to for advice, astrologers, uh, magi, um, as they were known in other literature. They're probably uh, magicians or astronomers, those who look at the sky and foretell things. They're of this particular class of advisors, uh, probably from Babylon, so they're not kings, as tradition has it, but they are men of importance and they're men of wealth. Um, they're the kind of people who might get sent by a king as an emissary. And so they come to Herod, verse 2, and they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Perhaps it shouldn't surprise us that they saw a star, if they are astrologers, and that they come uh, in response to a star. But the star is from God. God is bringing these people uh, to Jerusalem, using something that he had forbidden his people to use in the Old Testament, divination, looking at the stars. But he still draws them to Jerusalem. Now, if indeed they are from Babylon, it's probable they've got some sense of the Old Testament prophecies about the Jewish Messiah. They've interacted with Jews. They've interacted with people like Daniel. In fact, in the um, ancient Near Middle East, uh, the whole area, the knowledge that the Jewish people were awaiting a Messiah was quite common. People knew this. And so when the 
wise men, the Magi, see this star, they link it to this idea of the coming Messiah. Why? Well, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, uh, you don't have to flick there, but it says, a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel. A star representing a light, a scepter representing a king coming out of this nation. It's an early messianic prophecy. And they see this star and they link it, it seems, uh, to this coming king of Israel. And like emissaries traveling to the coronation of a foreign ruler, they set out from their own country to worship this king. What do they know about him at this stage? Well, they have some knowledge of the Old Testament. They have this common knowledge that the Jewish people are expecting a Messiah. But it seems like their view of this king is going to be turned upside down over the course of the story. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know all of you here. Um, but for many of us, we have a fixed idea of the kind of Jesus that we expect to find at Christmas. These wise men probably had an idea of the kind of king they were coming to see. Now, perhaps our problem, or the problem we have in this country, is the opposite problem to the wise men. They may well have been expecting a glorious king. We know that we expect just a cute child part of a nice story. Are we prepared to have our expectations inverted like the wise men? Are we prepared to see him as more than just a cute child, a nice story for this time of year? Well, what do the wise men do? Uh, they come to Jerusalem. The king lives there. That's the obvious place to go. And what do they discover? They see Herod. Herod, who murdered many of his children just to keep his grasp on his throne. And they come saying, oh, where's the one who's been born to be king of the Jews? And Herod is thinking, a rival. Uh-oh. He's disturbed. What is Herod going to do? news of a possible person to displace him. Well, he calls together all the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, verse 4, and he asks them, where is this Messiah going to be born? Oh, the Messiah is coming from Bethlehem, they say, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. In Bethlehem of Judea, again, we hear these words, we know where Jesus is born, but to Herod, Bethlehem is where King David is from, the glorious king of Israel's history. Now, Herod's not of David's line. He's not from the tribe of Judah. He's an Edomite. He's an imposter king placed there by the Romans. And now, if he was paranoid before, we can only guess what this news does to him. The king they've come to see, the king they're expecting, the rival king... That was bad enough, but one from the line of David, with the weight of history, the messianic expectation behind him. What does the prophet write?
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here we start to see the inversion of the wise men's expectations. He's a ruler, yes, this promised king. He's a ruler, but he's a shepherd too. He's strong, but his strength is used to protect, not to oppress. He's a king, but he's a king who gets his hands dirty looking after his sheep. And he's not born in the palace. No, he's born in the little town of Bethlehem. He's not a Herod-type king at all. He's entirely different. Imagine the wise men starting to see just a little bit more about what this king they've come to see is like. Because he's not the king that we expect. Rather, he's the king that we need. What does Herod do with this news? Well, paranoid Herod puts a plan into motion. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And so the wise men went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where this child was. So let's put ourselves in the wise men's shoes. They have come from their own country a long way away because the prophesied king had arrived. And after a long journey... They arrive at the palace. Imagine the emissaries coming to uh, Buckingham Palace from a foreign nation and saying, where is the one who's been born king of the British people? Oh, he's not here. Where is he then? Herefordshire. They're a bit confused. Uh, perhaps they get a hint that the despotic Herod is less than pleased at their arrival. We don't know. But here they are now in Bethlehem, a small town outside of the metropolis. I don't know why I picked on Hereford. Sorry if you're from there. Um, it's actually a bit closer to the capital is Bethlehem. Um, but they would have felt very out of place. I mean, I'm imagining here again the motorcade of some foreign emissary arriving in this tiny village um, in the middle of rural Herefordshire. Um, and they're getting out of the car, and the Secret Service are there, and they just seem very out of place. Okay, back in the first century, it's probably camels and rich robes and things, but still, they're going to stick out. They're going to feel a little bit awkward. But what does the passage say, verse 10? When they saw the start, they were overjoyed. Rejoicing with great joy. It's just an abundance of joy, no awkwardness. They're here, they see this humble place, the little town of Bethlehem. And already they're rejoicing. 
already they've seen this king is clearly not like the kings of the earth. He's living in a small house in a small town with no royal entourage or fine clothes. <laughs> By the time they arrive, he's probably a couple of years old, uh, so no manger bed, but still a humble peasant home, not Herod's hubristic <clears throat> palace. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Here is the baby they've come to see, and if it hadn't, they hadn't been sure of the kind of king he was before, this would confirm it. There's his father, hands calloused from his carpentry, his mother barely into adulthood, not showy, not flashy, but quite the opposite. This is the child of prophecy, born into poverty, not a palace. Now, of course, for many of us, this is a familiar wonder. But imagine the response of the wise men. Each empire of their day would be showing off its glory at every opportunity. The Romans were famous for their victory displays, parading their defeated enemies in chains through the streets. Herod had built a massive palace to impress and to intimidate. Much of the Old Testament's prophecy about the glory of a coming king who is victorious in battle, and yet here, a king born into a peasant's family. How are they to make sense of it all? Of course, we look back as those who already know the whole story. And we see here, in the words of Micah that uh, quoted earlier, a shepherd king, a king who cares, a sovereign who suffers, the God who dies. We see in Jesus one who is exalted as the name above all names because he humbled himself as a weak and helpless baby born into poverty, eventually to die for all those he loves. Our king is not like Herod. He is entirely different and he is just the kind of king that we need. So what do the wise men do in response? Well, they present their gifts, and much has been said and written about these gifts, uh, but they themselves hint at the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingship. Gold and frankincense, they're the gifts brought by the nations um, to God's glorious kingdom in Isaiah 60. So Old Testament prophecy the nations bring gold and frankincense to God's kingdom. But myrrh, well, myrrh is more fitting to Isaiah 53, prophecy of God's suffering servant who dies for his people in their place. I want to look up those passages um, later, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 60, and just see that contrast, the paradox of our shepherd king. Not the king we expect, but the king that we need. 
And so verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. No doubt as they return home, they are celebrating what they have seen, how much they understand of the kind of king Jesus is going to be. We don't know, but they have seen a poor baby and they have honored him as king with their gifts. I have no doubt that their encounter with Jesus has changed them. Some of you may have been following uh, this uh, little series online over the last few weeks, Meet the Nativity. It's a uh, kind of Christmas comedy um, in which uh, four members of a slightly uh, dysfunctional family all end up encountering uh, the baby Jesus at the manger. It's kind of... um, It's described as meet the parents crossed with the nativity, crossed with time travel. It's it's brilliant. Uh, It's well worth looking up. Uh, But this character here is Will, who's a little bit out of place in the family. He's the boyfriend uh, visiting the parents-in-law for the first time. And he just feels really out of place. And it's when he meets the baby Jesus, who says, you are welcome. Mary and Joseph say, you're welcome. Here, hold him. Hold the baby. You are welcome here. He's for everyone. It's then that he is transformed. He's changed by his encounter. He sees uh, something of what it means to be accepted, to be welcomed in. The wise men, too, would be changed by their encounter. What about us? Well, some of us here are exhausted by 2017. I'm exhausted just trying to remember everything that's happened this year. Um, Can you believe we had a general election just a few months ago? Friends of mine have been woken up this year uh, to news of North Korean missiles flying overhead. Others known to us here face unimaginable pressures overseas. Uh, We heard last night that um, Beth Holt in the Philippines has been affected by these uh, storms. A friend of a friend of hers has been killed. Recently here, we've been mourning the loss of two much-loved members of our family. Global political problems seem bigger than ever, ever. But brothers and sisters, our king knows and cares. The king that the wise men meet is a shepherd king. We see his humility, but we also see his glory. He is a shepherd who cares. He leaves the comfort of home and faces the wild animals and storms of the night in order to rescue his sheep. He was born into political turmoil far far greater than we know, and yet he remains sovereign over it all. Now, maybe you too are exhausted by 2017, but the message of Christmas isn't comfort. It's a nice story. But in the real world, problems can't be fixed by a baby, can they? We need real world solutions. The right party in power, a workable peace deal in the Middle East, people in power who don't grab at glory, but will serve in the public interest. But isn't all of that just as fanciful as Christmas films proclaiming that all we need is a bit of peace, love, and Christmas spirit? 
as we sang earlier, 2,000 years of history have put paid to the idea that we can solve the problems ourselves. But here the wise men, they encounter the real Christmas spirit. News of a shepherd king. A king who doesn't remain a baby, but who through his death ultimately brings peace into this world of war, who brings light into this world of darkness, who through humility and weakness and even death conquers every enemy that we face, our pride, our selfishness, our guilt, our shame, everything that sets us and others against each other, everything that alienates us from God, this shepherd king deals with. He lays down his life for his sheep. He's not a king like Herod. He's not the king we expect. But he is the king that we need. The wise men saw a glimpse of his glory as they knelt before an unassuming toddler and worshipped him. How much more can we, who have seen the whole story, do the same. Let me pray. Father, you gave us not the king that we might expect, but the king that we needed, a shepherd who would lay down his life. And so, Father, would we with the wise men rejoice as we see him, as we get to know him, as we grow to love him more. Father, would this Christmas be one where familiar wonders are still wonders? Would we rejoice in the old, old story of our shepherd king? Amen.